Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 110 of UFO Encounters Worldwide. This is your host, Jesse Peake, MUFON field investigator in the state of Pennsylvania, city of Philadelphia. And today we are welcoming special guest Gary Jones, who has been researching a multitude of subjects for the past 41 plus years, which include the UFO uh, ET phenomena, ancient history, false flag events, and forbidden knowledge and sciences. Um, we're also going to be talking about his book um, called The Denbai Lights, A Truthful Argument for the Existence of UFOs. Um, so we have a bunch of different information to go over. Um, Gary is said to have uh, groundbreaking evidence on this case and also some others that he worked on. So we'll be going through all of those to see exactly what Gary has found out. Um, there should be some very interesting information. Um, so we're excited for that. Um, please make sure to go check out our sponsor, Let's Find Out, with co-host Diego, a podcast going into UFOlogy, the paranormal, and cryptozoology. You can get that over at our website at ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com or in the description of the episode below. So let's go ahead and bring our special guest on, Gary Jones. So strap on them seatbelts. We're going for a ride. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 110 of UFO Encounters Worldwide. This is your host, Jesse Peak, MUFON field investigator in the state of Pennsylvania, city of Philadelphia. And today's episode is sponsored by the podcast, Let's Find Out with co-host Diego. You can get all that information over at our website at ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com or in the description of the episode below. Today, we're welcoming our special guest, Gary Jones. Gary, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Jesse. It's good to be here. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, came across your book on Flying Disc Press. Um, somebody, I, uh, Philip Mantle, who I know pretty well, um, and I was immediately interested because it was a case that I had never heard of before. Um, but we'll, I guess we'll get into that. But I guess let's start how you got involved into the field because you're involved with multiple different subjects. I mean, we're talking about UFOs, ancient history, false flags, forbidden knowledge, sciences. How did that all start for you? Where did the inspiration for these subjects and interests come from? Oh, I've always had an interest in those things ever since I was a young child. The UFOs and ancient history thing in particular. It was always those shows that just asked these really intriguing questions about what, how the pyramids were built or what are these strange lights in the sky or, you know, what what are these things being seen by people all around the world? And questions like that always grabbed my attention and it just kind of went from there. But I guess when I was seven, I'll just I'll say it quick. I had my first UFO sighting with some friends. It was in the summer. We saw a disc. Uh, it has some strange lights and it didn't make any sound and it was clearly not a helicopter or a plane and it disappeared after two or three minutes like uh like it just vanished into thin air wow. so i knew that these things were real so obviously that gripped me and then from there my knowledge base grew as i started to do research and read more about it and then i just decided i'm i'm going to take a look at all this get involved in investigation work and uh, that's pretty much how it all started for me yeah, that's really interesting. I, I did see you had multiple um, encounters and sightings of your own. Um, mm. Was that the very first one? And then there was a couple after that as well? Uh, you know, you asked the question how I got started. I always, I keep thinking that myself. I've, I've always said to people lately, I feel like the subject chose me rather than the other way around. Okay. Um, 
But I mean, no, that wasn't the first sort of if you want if you mean strange encounter. I mean, the first one I probably remember was when I was five. I've told this story a few times now. I just recently moved to a new area. I had a bedroom on a three-story house, which like three floors. And um, uh, I remember waking up in the middle of the night, but it felt like some sort of outer body experience or whatever you would call it. I wasn't sleepwalking. I mean, I remember it so clearly, and I was only like five years old. But everything felt different. Uh, the light was different. Sound was different. Touch and feel was different. You know, even walking felt different. I don't know how to explain it. But I just remember going down to the second floor, opening up the bedroom window, or sorry, the living room window, and uh, outside was this 15-foot tall being standing roughly the same distance as his height from me. And uh, he was like a long, skinny-looking thing, but he was quite broad as well, you know, I mean, for his size. He, you know, he was skinny for his size. Do you know what I mean? He was just, he was kind of like very lanky-looking, but right. he could clearly pick a human up and throw him quite far if he wanted to. He looked sturdy, but he had that black suit on and uh, it's like a swimsuit you see them uh on divers and all that those black yeah okay. cover instance yes. and, and he had this sort of like cone-shaped head I, I kind of, it's, it was but it was more oh i don't know how to describe it the top part of it it's like uh when you see the these the, the symbol the spade on a pack of cards you know when you see the bottom end of it yes so curved sort of cone up in the middle there I don't know. It was very strange. And he didn't say nothing, didn't do nothing. I just saw it. I saw it. This happened three times, or three times during a space of like maybe just over a week. Hmm. And uh, the third and final time, it, it sort of just moved away and faded off it, like it was saying goodbye or it, just, it had enough of me or something. I don't know. But yeah, that was the, for probably the first time I remember. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, did you realize, you know, that you were having this kind of encounter or was it later in your life when you got involved with the, the series that you're watching and getting involved into the field? Yeah, later on in life, it kind of hit me that I was having these experiences and having these um, encounters. And it was kind of creepy, really, when I realized, my God, you know, yeah. at the time, it felt that was the normal thing for everyone. You know what I mean? But then you realize just how, how it connects to other things. And yeah, when you, when you realize you've had these things happen to you. You know these things weren't just dreams yeah it's naturally gonna grab you and put you on a quest for answers and it's silly i think you know this probably too jesse the further you go down the rabbit hole the more deeper you want to go like you know what i mean it's it's a red pill that just uh keeps on making you want to go go further and further that's right you look for one uh question and you wind up having five more when you walk away yes. <laughs> absolutely um so you you came out with a book through Flying Disc Press. Um, would you like to tell us about that and uh, your investigation? Because I uh, was reading your bio and, and it said that you had come away with some really great evidence within this case. Uh, could you tell us uh, the name of the book um, and what it's about? Uh, this particular book is called The Denby Lights. It's a case up in North Wales that involves a family of four. It happened on January 3rd, 2012. During a stormy night, I might add, when it was freezing cold and the wind was gusting as well, and it was pouring down with rain. And uh, outside their house, uh, one of the family members noticed a series of flashing lights after being alerted to a noise outside his bedroom window, mind you. It was his bin falling over by the wind. And um, to cut a long story short, uh, the the two there were two brothers, uh, their mother and her granddaughter, so four family members in total, all looked from this window 
the sort of series of flashing lights, and they managed to record video of it. Really? And uh, yeah, they got about 10, nearly 10 minutes worth of footage, which uh, I was able to view sometime in April 2018. I was aware of this case about a year before that because I had just started investigating the Pen, Pen Turk incident. I'll talk about that later on if we get a chance. But I was aware of this case because it had already been investigated just a week or two or three weeks after the event by a man named Peter Glynn. And he had put together some pretty interesting video evidence and did some of his own analytical work. And uh, I was aware that, you know, up in North Wales, there was this really great case with this really great video evidence. And yet, although a good preliminary investigation had been done by Peter Glynn, I could see that there was more that needed to be done. I could, you know, because I think I, I, I've just got this mindset where I can see it in different avenues because I've learned so much from other people. And um, yeah, I just decided to investigate it, gathered all the evidence, did more research, checked the backgrounds and everything, got the video professionally analyzed, did some, uh, what's the word? Uh, when you call comparison work and so on, oh, check flight radars and things like that. And yeah. I put it all together in this book called The Denby Lights. And it's called the Denby Lights, D-E-N-B-I-G-H, and I call it a truthful argument for the existence of UFOs. Now, bear in mind that this was in 2018. Um, I sort of came up with that title a little bit later, but at the time, I just said to myself that this case is probably one of those rare, rare cases where the evidence just sits out right in front of you and says this is real. So if anybody's looking for a case in particular for someone to prove a UFO is real, UFOs are real, there you go. Because the video is real, the witnesses are real, all comparisons don't match up. It's a thoroughly investigated case. There's no other explanation for it. So, yeah, uh, I just decided to write a book. And so far, it's had some good reviews. Hopefully, I'll get a few more sales as well come Christmas time. That's and um, yeah, that's that's. Uh, I, I I thought that this is one of those underrated cases that hasn't got the attention or the credit it deserves, especially since the family were, you know, very very, especially the two brothers, especially the younger one, Nathan Thomas. I mean, to get that video footage was amazing, especially considering the excitement they were all under. So did this actually happen in 2018, or is that when you started the investigation? 3rd of January 2012, around 3 a.m. in the morning was when it happened. The sighting lasted for about 15 minutes. It was a disc oval-shaped craft which had these really interesting lights on it. And I wish we had uh, some slides to show you, but obviously we've only got audio. But if you go to my uh, Rumble channel, which is under the same name, Gary Jones, and just type in Denby Lights, you'll find uh, two things. One, a video documentary I made on it and the presentation I did recently in June in Newport. And you can see all the evidence there. You can see it for yourself. You'll even see the, some of the video as well and why, it's, why it stacks up so well. But um, yeah, I mean, the, uh, I got aware of this case or started to investigate in 2018. So like a good six years after the event, but I thought by then it, it was all conclusive. I was just amazed at how much there was still, I could do with it. So yeah. I decided to, um, Dig my dig myself into this one, and this is the result. Yeah, it's great um, because you know I like to hear about these cases that you don't hear about, like you were talking about, bringing them to the mm -hmm. light, giving them the respect they deserve. Because we hear about the main ones over and over again. So it's yeah. those other these these cases like this that are really important because you don't hear about them. 
uh, having evidence the way like this does with video evidence of 10 minutes is usually unheard of. <laughs> you, yes, I mean, usually it's it maybe a minute, maybe 30 seconds video, you know, and that's about it. So that's, yes. that's, that's great. That's about as good as it gets sometimes. And it's never really all that clear, but I mean, you can see the lights are flashing in a series of patterns, which are not distinguishable from airplanes strobe lights on a building or emergency lighting or on cranes because there are golf clubs and uh their quarries up there but they're nowhere near in line or in the area where this thing had been seen you know it's not electrical arcing or people walking in the field of the farm or working at night it's none of those things so you know i did i used a google map as well to like try and figure out where the lights were shining based upon position and location you understand you, know, you, you see the daytime nighttime comparisons and you recognize landmarks and you try to use Google Earth Maps to figure out what the landmarks are and okay. what's the furthest points left to right and then try to uh, determine size because the family was saying it was about 60, 70 feet, which puts it quite close to their home, actually, but still far enough away to, um, I guess, not be um, intimidating. Now, unfortunately, the camera doesn't show the saucer as well as you can see it with their own eyes. Their eyes were much sharper at night. And you can hear it in the audio. They recognize, oh, it's a saucer. It's a saucer. I can see the red light on top. I can see the bottom bit and everything. It's, it, I, I try to put some of it in the book, the transcript uh, in the book, so people can see what they're saying for themselves. But it, it's even just as impressive when you see the video itself. Yeah, I, I bet it is. Um, I definitely would love to take a look at that. I'll have to check it out. Mm -hmm. um, so did, did this family at, ever have other experiences that this led up to this account that happened? um i don't believe so no if they did they kept it very quiet or maybe it wasn't they didn't feel it was worthy of mention but um this one obviously if they had any other previous ones topped that completely because well uh i mean when uh the second eldest brother alex he was the second one to see it he but the light you see in the video the lights go out and as soon as the lights go out he's like oh don't stop he doesn't want him to go away and when I interviewed the other witness, uh, Kira Lee, uh, the granddaughter of Linda Pritchard, who's the mother, um, yeah, she said to me in an interview when I interviewed her, she said oh, she was a big Ed Sheeran fan. So, you know, we, we, it, it kind of fell into discussion. Oh, so if you had a choice then, we're like going on tour with Ed Sheeran or winning the lottery and living your dreams. Or seeing this thing again, I was like, what would you what would you pick? She said, oh, I choose that like those lights again because it's priceless wow so that is that is such a great way of summing it all up yeah it's a, it's a real positive attitude so some people get really <laughs> frightened by this and then they're like i don't ever want it to happen again so it must have no, been a really positive outcome they want to see it again yeah that's great they're always on the lookout they're always on the lookout but it's been 2012 well it's been nearly, nearly 12 years now so still nothing nothing right. since now had, had, was there any other sightings maybe that night of other people possibly seeing uh, in the area? I have looked. I have looked, but the only thing close was about a month after uh, in a landmark not too far away from where this happened, the Denby Castle. And that's got its own history and folklore. But uh, someone had reported a, uh, in a pit local paper, the Denby Press, I think it was, uh, a disc-shaped object, and it was caught on two images uh, hovering around the castle area. And this is not too far away from where the Danby Lights location is. It's probably like you can see the castle 
from from the house itself. So it may be like two miles away, maybe a mile and a half. How about that? Less than that. Probably less than that. But um, you can clearly see in this in these pictures, there is a disc-shaped object floating around the castle. And uh, this is just less, maybe just, yeah, about a month after this one happened. So huh. very strange. Yeah, it is. Um, Daytime too. Okay, okay. So that's completely different. They were at 3 a.m., right? This was daytime. Mm. Okay, yeah, very interesting. Um, so you also in, um, investigated some other big cases as well. Um, the next one I have on the list is the Penrich incident. Is Am I pronouncing that per correct? You see, it's pronounced Pen Turk. It's just like Pen, Pen you write with, and Turk. You know, Pen, pen Turk. Turk. Okay. Yeah. Could you tell us yeah. a little bit about that and uh, how you came across that? Well, um, I came across that the very same night it happened, more or less. Uh, that one involved Kaz Clark. I was attending a conference just two days after the event. There had been a lot of military activity build up in the area, all across South Wales virtually, for days on end. And then on one night in particular, the Air Force and the military just seemed to explode into action, and many people were wondering why. And then during a Q&A session uh, of this conference in Merthyr Tidville Rugby Club, uh, Kaz Clark got a hold of the microphone. I didn't know who she was then. I do now, of course. But she told that room what had happened and what she saw. And she literally said it was a UFO event and the military knew it was coming and something was shot down. And, well, everybody's jaw in that room dropped. Literally, because we all knew something was going on, but for someone to come out and say it the way she said it, you know, just pop it up right there in front of everyone and just saying it affirmatively, I think is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. You know, with conviction, frantically, but with conviction, because she was still obviously excited and nervous after what had happened. It was only two days after. And yeah, I decided I was going to look at this thing there and then. And unfortunately, I lost nearly 20 months because by the time I could get to cars after that event, when she said that, right, she was being swarmed by most of the people in the room. You can imagine there's 100 people around here. I can't get through them, right, because they're, 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 they're all bunched up together. Right. And, um, you know, I've got a lift waiting outside because it's getting late and I have to go home and they have to get up early in the morning. So I'm like, damn, you know what I mean? This is, this is something I need to get a I need to speak to, but I thought, okay, I have to get going, otherwise I'm walking home and I don't fancy that. And uh, I thought, I'll find her tomorrow. But then it was like 20 months after that initial time she spoke at the club. Huh. And I re I've come to realize somebody was shadow banning her name or keeping it off uh, search engines or something on Facebook. Really? Even though, I, yeah, honestly, I was, I was searching and searching and searching and I know how to search things online. But later on, I realized the full significance of what she'd seen, along with her neighbor, David, and some other people we've now got witnesses for. But it was just uh, incredible that the military and the Air Force and the MOD, our Ministry of Defense, knew that some strange object was coming into our planet or into our, our space or into our dimension, if you want to call it, because they described this thing as an interdimensional craft set an ambush for it, put all their military personnel and aircraft and everything ready to, to uh, await its arrival. And then um, obviously there was a skirmish at some point with one smaller object because what Kaz described as seeing was like a massive pyramid-shaped object, many hundreds of feet high and wide. And so did David, her neighbor, 
and it ejected all these smaller objects out of it, like 15 to 20 barrel-like shaped objects. They were red and they were green. One of them even, two of them even came over to them where they were watching by the gate. And uh, one went from a red to green color and shone a green light on Kaz and David, but Kaz in particular was bathed in this light. And she said she heard some male voice to, uh, asking her to tell her what, the world what she'd seen. And then later on, there was a massive explosion about five miles northwest outside a hospital where an Apache was forced to make an emergency landing because its cockpit, its cockpit and generator caught fire. An Apache helicopter, right? Yeah, catching fire. Yeah, weird. I mean, these things are these things are very, very reliable helicopters. Right. Some of them are expensive air, air, aircraft. Anyway, there was um, an explosion so loud it, it measured on the Richter scale. It shook the hospital and surrounding areas for miles around. And uh, later on, there was a, there's a woods called there, Smilog Wood, that was cordoned off. There was a uh, military personnel seen going in and out of there. Uh, Apache, no, not Apache, a Chinook helicopter was seen flying backwards and forwards, and it looked like it was carrying something underneath its underbelly, like it was airlifting something. Right. And uh, yeah, later on in the very same day, then we realized that uh, some very powerful, prominent people in our government, in our cabinet, probably in NATO, as well as uh, the royal family, had arrived on an airplane from a very special air force base called, uh, no, a special base called Northholt. Now, huh. uh, it's a lot to go in. I can't explain all this in the time that I've got, but all I can say is that there's, the book for that is called The Pentuk Incident. Me and Kaz Clark co-wrote that one. And um, that one's doing very, very well because obviously the case itself is generating so much interest and evidence for that. Obviously, when it comes to the case, it's the biggest one I've got. And it's probably one of the biggest ones out there. And that's not me saying that, you know, it's other people who have looked into it for themselves. Right. But uh, the military covered it up. Uh, they tried denying many things for many years. And me and Cass have worked due diligently on many different areas, and we've uncovered the cover-up. That's great. They, they now have, they now had to admit that they did not have any training exercises. There were no planned low-flying military or RAF exercises for this area of South Wales. For the entire month we were in this event when it happened, so if you didn't have any planned exercises and you didn't plan any training exercises, what the hell were you doing here with all that firepower and air support? Hmm. Why did you open fire? Why did things explode? Why did your helicopter take down? Why did you block off uh, areas of the forest which, which which you were not allowed to do under normal circumstances? Why did you, you know, oh yeah, they arrested they arrested two witnesses who saw what crashed in the woods. Really. Yes, we've got witnesses who came forward um, privately, of course. But we've got their video recordings, and I've transcribed them all, too. And uh, they saw what they shot down, and they described it as some sort of green object that looked, the top off of it looked like some sort of Coke ball that had been chopped off at the bottom, okay. the bottom off of a glass Coke ball. That's very similar to the barrel-shaped object that many people described. That's really interesting. Yeah, it all fits together. So did they ever put a, a statement out uh I mean, what was the original statement that they put out? They said it was just training. Well, the only one that ever made any kind of official, I don't know if want to call it an official statement. There was a, a woman named oh, Jessica Morgan Flynn who wrote a paper article or online article for Wales Online, which is kind of like our mainstream media page website here in Wales. They just call it a training exercise huh. called Chameleon. 
And uh, that's a lot of bogus nonsense because that exercise normally takes place up on the border of Scotland and England, usually uh, in the daytime. And it had been announced 10 days prior. So it was all finished by the time they got started. This, this event started down here. But like I said, we've, We've got. We've actually got it in their own words, their own documents from their official offices, saying there was no exercises here. That's Nothing. Great. That's great. You got that information. Mm. It definitely sounds like a sticky situation they got under their hands there. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they weren't figuring on us being so. Uh, what's the word? Forthright about coming. You know, getting, getting, getting to the heart of the truth of it all. Right. Right. And I guess they weren't as prepared as they thought they were, huh? <laughs> Uh, it's a bit hard to cover it up when you know you've got no paperwork at all for anything. And like I said, um, you know, we did a lot of, I did a lot of field research and field work, you know, looking for radiation and uh, electromagnetic radiation in particular was found in the areas where these, these craft had been seen. Okay. And, uh, you know, you, there was clear evidence of EMF damage to trees and the grass and the soil. So yeah, I mean, it definitely, uh, it definitely all fitted together. That's great. And they can, is, is that through flying disc pressed as well? Um, no, this one was uh, funded by Kaz Clark, actually, this book. Okay. She um, put up the money for it herself. I, can, I think uh, she just wanted it out there because well, I, I can't go into the story right now. It's too, it takes too yeah, much time, no, but no we just needed to get it out there quick because we realized somebody was probably trying to steal our story. Right. Okay, good. And they can get that over at Amazon, I'm guessing. It's on Amazon, yes. It's uh, the Pen Turk Incident, Cass Clark, Harry Jones. You can find it there. Okay, great. Excellent. I appreciate you sharing that story with us. That's, that sounds like a really good one. <laughs> I'm going to mm. check that one out for sure. Um, so we're actually at our break, so I want to go ahead and take our uh, quick one-minute break. Um, we get mm. back. You got a couple other um, uh, incidences that you investigated as well, which really seem interesting. Mm. Um, so we're going to go ahead and take our quick break, everybody. Um, please listen to our quick messages, and we'll be back right after the break. Thank you. UFO Encounters Worldwide would like to announce our brand new home at the UNX Network. Listen to us every Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to hear UFO Encounters Worldwide podcast. That's on the UNX Network. Have you always been curious about the unknown, the unexplainable? Do you find yourself intrigued by the mysterious and paranormal side of our world? Then let's find out with co-host Diego is the podcast for you. Join in on an adventure into the world of the inexplicable and get insights from experienced researchers, investigators, and experts. Listen to mind-bending discussions and fascinating stories as Let's Find Out explores the strange, mysterious, and paranormal. Let's Find Out with co-host Diego is a unique and engaging podcast that uncovers the mysteries of the cryptic and unknown. With insightful interviews and discussions, they discover the very latest theories, discoveries, and investigations that may someday give us the final answer as to what may be behind the veil of reality. Available on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, YouTube, iHeartRadio, Radio Public, TuneIn, and Rumble. UFO Encounters Worldwide wants to hear from you. Have an experience or a sighting you want to share? Contact your host, Jesse Peake, at UFO Encounters Worldwide at gmail.com today. Mm -hmm. 
This is your host, Jesse Peak. Check out our official website at ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com. Read up on UFO articles, including abductions, close encounters, sighting cases, megalithic structures, and more. Also, check out our new Facebook group. You'll get updates on guests every week, new events coming up, and our schedule of who we're going to have on in the future. Again, that's UFO Encounters Worldwide Facebook group and our website at ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com. Looking to get some UFO merchandise? We'll get some UFO Encounters Worldwide official stickers, and we also have pins. Check out our selection, DM us or email us if you're interested for inquiry, and we'll show you our selection. All pins and stickers are $3 each and $1 shipping, or you can mix and match any five for $10 and free shipping. DM us or send us an email if you're interested. All right, welcome back to the second half of episode 110. We're sitting down with our special guest, Gary Jones. Um, so we talked about uh, two of your big cases that you've investigated. There's actually three more that are pretty interesting that I haven't heard of as well. Um, the next one on our list is the Caldecott Triangle. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that and uh, you know what, what you found out about it, how you came across it, uh, the evidence? Uh, yeah. Um... The lady who contacted me about that one, because by then my name was getting out there with the Pentec and the Denby thing. Uh, her name is Serena Bradbury, and she lives in Cardiff area. Not too far from the Seven Bridge or the Prince of Wales Bridge, I guess they're calling it now. Anyway, she was she contacted me, uh, said she'd had an experience. She called video of the thing as well, and I had a chat with her realized she was telling me some pretty interesting things and i said well, we can meet if you like and uh you can take me to the place and location because i like to do that i need to go to the place and location where these things are happening absolutely so i get an idea of what they're looking at and um we had a, we had a good discussion and as always when i have a good idea of what the, what uh they're talking about i can i can uh begin an investigation but what she described was a um she was going to a friend's house it was September, was it September 2016? So this was like just six, seven months after the Penturk incident. And, and what happened here was she was walking across the road, she was going to her friends, and then she suddenly felt like there was something above her, like a warmish kind of feeling, I guess, a tingling sensation. And she looked up and there it was, not too far above her head, this triangular shaped object, 15 feet on all sides, with the... And then she called them like grilled, like these grills, these air vent grill things uh, going down, going down each side. Uh, I think she described something bright in the middle and, you know, other bright lights on on its uh, triangular sides, you know, on the corners. Okay. And she realized, oh, my God, oh, my God, what is this? Making no noise. It's hovering above her and it's acting, it's doing something very strange. And she got a phone out to record it. By the time she got into her pocket, and looked up and to record it. I mean, the camera was out of a, on the, the phone was out of her pocket and the camera was on within quite a, just a few seconds. Didn't take that long. But by the time she managed to get some recording, the thing was already well up 
by the, the Severn Bridge, the Prince of Wales Bridge. It's a bridge that connects Wales and England, goes over the Bristol Channel. And she managed to record some of it. And whatever this object is, it's triangular, because I had the video analyzed by Jason Gleaves, who does UF only. He's a former RAF man who now does professional analytical work with videos and, and photographs. Yes, he's been on before. And yeah, yeah, this, this thing was moving again. I checked the weather reports. This thing was going against the wind, or going into the wind, I should ask, and uh, was not part of any um, air traffic control at the time. There was nothing there. And it, whatever this thing is, it's got no strobing lights, wings, or any visible propellers that I can see. It's a clearly triangular object. And uh, it's moving in a very strange way. You can even see a sort of a curving motion uh, towards the end. And um, yeah, I interviewed Serena about that. I asked her about it. And I produced a video report, which I called the Call the Car Triangle. She had previously mentioned this in a. I think she may have even contacted your own office, actually. Move on. Really? One of your move offices may have had the report. I'm not sure. Oh, I'll have to look into it. It's been a while since I looked into it, but uh, she did make a report of the sighting somewhere. She showed me where it was. I'd have to go back into my notes, but I think it may have actually been yours. Huh. That's interesting. One more of the Buffon offices, so I, I'll have to look into that. But yeah, because she had video as well, even though it was only... Uh, a couple of like maybe 20 30 seconds as you know we were talking about earlier it was still enough to show me that this thing i mean this thing was moving really strange it seemed to seemed to have some you know some serious speed going on there to get that far in such a short space of time absolutely so yeah it was clearly it was clearly uh and then i i, I wonder if it was like one of those variants of the tr3b but a smaller smaller version okay that's just me anyway but um yeah, many people have seen a similar craft like that before. You know, many people have seen triangles. They've been reported like that before. So yeah, it was a very interesting case and uh, definitely one that um, fits 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 the mold of unexplained. Right, absolutely for sure. And I, I usually ask this question about every case. You know, has the person ever had experiences prior or after? Um, just to see if it's something that runs in the, and you know, maybe she is in a permanent experience or where she's had many accounts. I think she's um, had some. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think she had some experiences as a child. I can't quite remember because it's a lot of details to remember considering all these cases I've done. Right. But I, I do believe she's had some experiences before. Yeah. She's had some strange things happen to her. Yeah. So uh, you, you did, you mentioned the, the TR3B. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that's a real thing? I mean, there was documents for it. Um, I know that there's people that dispute it. There's people that, that are for it. Um, do you think that is something that people see more often and we, we misidentify it as a UFO? Well, no, for me, I think it's uh, real or this, whatever, the, whatever we call the TR3B could be called something else by another group of black ops people. But whatever the object is, the triangular shape and the whatever, how it functions and how it looks visually, I do believe it's real because I've seen something like that myself. Okay, okay. What, what did, I mean, what, uh, I've seen the model of the TR-3B. Um, mm. They have a couple different versions. But uh, what, what did yours look like? Did it, did it look like the main model that goes around in pictures that everybody sees online? Mm. Well, it, this one was very strange because the one um, it was about – January 2004, not long after the new year just finished. So it was like 
third or fourth, I was back in work, you know, because Christmas Eve, Christmas holidays were over. And uh, it was in the New Year sales. Um, I was on the last bus home. It was dark, you know, it was about, I think it was about seven o'clock at my time. And I was just getting off the bus and there was a young girl behind me. She was going wherever she was going. I was going home. And I couldn't have been off the bus in more than 10 seconds, 15 tops. And as I, I, I walked down and we look up and there it is. It's like, you got to remember, it was low cloud. I don't know how high the cloud is. It's probably like a couple of thousand feet, you know. And this light came from below the cloud layer. And it was in a V shape, like a boomerang. Kind of like a boomerang shape. Okay. It's kind of similar to the shape that people describe with the Phoenix lights, the Arizona Phoenix lights. Yes. Okay. Obviously, the shape of it. It had that light configuration with those little circles uh, inside them. And, yeah, I mean, whatever this thing is that came over us was huge. It, I don't know if it came below the car layer, maybe even come down lower. I don't know. But it was very, very defined in its shape, the lights and the way it flickered. Um, but if I had to judge its size, I would say it was probably about two football fields oh, length wow. in its width, you know what I mean, from end to end. It was that huge. Big, huh? Oh, yeah. It, it was visible for about it was visible for about 10, 15 seconds. I, I even described its speed at like 300 odd miles an hour. And it didn't it didn't make any sound. Didn't make any sound that I was aware of. And it then just went back above the clouds and I never saw it again. But me and the girl both turned around to each other and we were looking like, you know, what the hell was that? Absolutely. And uh, <laughs> it didn't even break the clouds. That's what That was the amazing thing. Because when you have the, the street lights on below, you know, you get all that light pollution. Correct. Sometimes the, 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 it reflect off the clouds. You can see them. Um, it didn't disturb the clouds at all. Huh. So I didn't stand there. It didn't make it like a V shape as it went back up. It just seemed to go up, up in the clouds and not even sort of like cause any sort of like um, over airflow or, you know, disturbance in the air currents or anything. Huh. So it's kind of like it was moving through its own space and time in a, in a sense. It was very strange, yeah. Um, and the only other time I, I – I do have a picture of this one, but I have to dig it out. I just remember I was, I was doing a sunset in – 2011 maybe i can't remember when and the date would be on the picture but i was just out the back i can't remember why i was out there maybe i've just been putting out rubbish or sorting picking up some uh, picking up some some items or anything moving things around and as i was making my way back to the door in my, in my back garden the, the, the sunlight just dimmed very very quickly i mean if you ever put your hand like when you're shining a torchlight on a wall and then you put your hand in front of it, and you get that sort of shadowy effect on the wall when you put your hands in front of the, the, the light source. Yep, absolutely. And everything just dims. It went like that, but on a much larger scale, of course, you know. And I was like, what the freaking hell? And something just said to me, turn around, look at the sun. And then I looked at it, and I could see there was something in there. And I just grabbed my phone and started clicking something. And maybe this is just me, but as I look at the cloud shape, there's a distinctive triangle shape in the middle of it. Huh. Now, and it's you, right there. Now it's, when, it's crazy. When you said something told you to turn around, was it like an instinct feeling, or was it like something? It was, was... like an, it was like an instinct and uh, like a sort of like quick instruction of some sort. Like something said to me, "Do it." You know? Right. Right. Huh. I couldn't. I can't describe it. I, it wasn't just like I turned around and thought, "Oh wow, that's amazing." But someone said, "Just turn around." There's something there. You know what I mean? It was just like something inside me just knew it was that, or it could be that. 
Yeah, it's, it's interesting because you've had a couple of encounters and a couple of sightings. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if it, it's always been maybe the same race or the same people trying to get your attention. It's just interesting. Well, it's probably, interesting. They certainly got my attention. I tell you, the, yeah. the dimness of the light, just, it, was, it was only for a few seconds, but it was just amazing how quick it happened. Right. Oh, that's great. Interesting stuff for sure, you know, to see that kind of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I try to talk to people that haven't seen things before, and it's like they, yeah. they'll never fully understand until they see something, you know, like the way we have. Yeah. Um, and once you see that, it kind of it blows all everything you've ever oh, known yeah. <laughs> out of the park. <laughs> if you've never experienced it, you can't appreciate it until you've actually had uh, at least a partial experience, shall we say? Yes, exactly. No, you can't appreciate it exactly. Um, so I guess moving on, uh, there's two more cases that you've investigated. Um, mm-hmm. There's the one that starts with the L, and I'm not going to pronounce it because I'll probably mess it up. Uh, the, the, Is it the Flamechemel? The red orb? Oh, Lantrisson, do you mean? Lantrisson, there you go. Okay. Actually, I didn't invent that. That one, Flanachemev, is in the book. But yeah, the Lantrisson red orb, yeah, that was an interesting one. Uh, that involved a group called Paranormal Now. Uh, oh, I want to make sure I get their names right. There's one guy named Richard Oliver, other fellow named Jared Walters. The person who contacted me was a guy named Richard Oliver. He and his partner had taken an interest in the Pentoke thing. Okay. And um, one day they were filming a helicopter, a police helicopter that was acting very strangely in a place called Power Station Hill. And it was circling around and hovering low, and it looked like it was up to something, like it was searching or monitoring or something. It was not doing what it normally does. So they just started filming, thinking that nothing, thinking nothing of it, of course. And then just out of the out to the right side of their camera, they were like, what is that? What is that? And then they turned the camera, and there it is, this really odd barrel, tick, uh, barrel shape or tic-tac-shape looking thing, standing upright, like a big lantern even. Huh. And uh, when the two of them saw it, you can hear it in their voices. They're like, oh, my God. And the helicopter sees it. This thing's moving against the wind again but then stops, looks at the helicopter, sees it, and then moves off in the opposite direction or virtually to the left of it. Uh, and then the helicopter kind of moves off to the right to get away from it. And then as it moves away, it comes into the space it just was, like it's monitoring it or something. It's And these helicopters are these um, National Air Police Service, the NAPS. They're like these yellow and black helicopters. Okay. And I don't mean black helicopters like the secret helicopters. I'm talking about just yellow and black color. Right. Uh, they do normal policing duties, but they're also contracted, I believe, to certain military outfits. And it's not the first time I've caught them uh, capturing UFOs with their, you know, their, their onboard equipment, like especially the FLIR system, the forward-looking infrared. Right. Because they had one, funny enough, going over the bridge around the same time that uh, Serena's call the car triangle thing happened. And this was some sort of circular orb shaped craft that was going against the wind again, traveling about 116 miles an hour. And it was only visible when they caught it on their, they look, their, their thermal imaging sensors, not with the naked eye. And um, it's one of those same helicopters again. And it seems every time we have some funny UFO sightings, those helicopters show up. And um, 
I often wonder if maybe they're aware of it because of what happened during the Pan-Turk incident. It's like a, a pattern of behavior around here is, is occurring. Anyway, um, getting back to, I don't want to keep going on here, but there's a lot of details I can cover. I saw the video again. I sent it to Jason Gleaves, who's really, you know, he's absolutely brilliant at this. And of course, uh, the family, the, uh, Richard and his partner, I interviewed them. Uh, we did some investigation work. We looked around. And it's clear, you know, whatever this thing is, it's not a lantern, it's not a drone, it's not uh, some other kind of aircraft, it doesn't behave, it's not on radar, because I check all that stuff. So, you know, once you eliminate the, the possible explanation, whatever's left has to be true, isn't it? Yeah. However improbable people think it is. That's how you figure it out, eliminate, elimination style, right? You Indeed. That's uh, really interesting. Um, there was a major case here in the States of a police helicopter um, where the UFO actually went right by and actually barely touched the, the, the helicopter. Um, pretty big incident. Um, I never heard of the police uh, force that you're talking about in the UK. I had no idea there was a, a, a contracted police force like that. Um, I'm not entirely sure what they are, but I know that the, the NAPS, the National Air Patrol Service, I believe, and um, sometimes when I look at their helicopters, um, the Eurocopter or the EC-35, I think it's called, they they always seem to show up sometimes. That's interesting. You think maybe that they also, you know, you think they're catching criminals, but then all of a sudden, you know, they're always showing up for no reason, and then we're getting reports of strange UFO sightings every now and again. Right. Yes, yeah, so they're probably catching something on radar or under systems, and I, I think, uh, yeah, huh. it makes me think of what kind they, of technology they're using now today you know yeah. the military to be able to figure this out yeah well they even released a, a video themselves on their own website showing that uh strange barrel a strange circular object i just mentioned really they, they released they, a, they, a video? they even put it out on their own website on their own twitter page asking anyone what this is and somebody using our freedom of information uh act uh requested that video footage and it's available online and uh, it's been the national press online, of course. It never gets put in a paper. Right. Uh, um, but why? You know, that's shocking. That's, it should be in the papers because that's, I mean, that's really solid video evidence you got there. Yeah, for them yeah. to release something like that, that's pretty big. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's very strange. It's very strange why they don't cover that. You never see that here in the States. You would never get a police force or military that would release a UFO video footage. On their own website, <laughs> you know what I mean. So yeah, I think someone recorded it off one of their screens and then put it out there. Maybe they even did it anonymously. I don't know, but whoever put it on the page is actually on their page. But what makes me laugh is how they no one's. I don't know if anyone's disciplined them for it or not. I mean, I, it's kind of stupid. I should have checked it out more, but I've been so busy with all this other stuff. It's just kind of slipped me by. Right. Yeah. That's that's it's crazy. They haven't put out a statement or tried to take the video down or. <laughs> Yeah. I should look into that one. Actually, I think I am going to now. Yeah. I've just got some other cases I'm lo looking at as well. Yeah, the researcher life, right? The investigator life. Very busy. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes you just need a break, man. I've been at this solid now for 10 years nearly, and I just, I'm like, oh, come on, I need a Christmas off here. Right, absolutely. Especially after, especially after frigging COVID. Yeah, that was crazy times. Definitely crazy times. <laughs> Um, so you're the, the the last case that I have here, um, the mystical lights of uh, Merther. Merther, yeah. Um, so w what is that? Oh well, that that's um, 
Yeah, that was a brilliant one actually. Um, that just came into that just came came to me like you know because everybody knows now that I'm I'm doing these things and I love the fact that I got video to show of all this as well. Yeah, you it helped very... me. It helps me. Yeah, well, uh, a friend of mine uh, was contacted by someone he knows. Uh, he said, "Oh, I've got this weird video footage. Me and my kids saw it uh, coming down coming down this road." And uh, he happened to mention that I'm, uh, you know, into UFO investigations and passed his number on to me. And I got talking to him and I said, you have video footage? And he showed me a couple of image slides. And I said, is there any possibility I can get this video? Maybe the original copy? You know, you copy the original file, not right. upload it to like YouTube or Facebook because of compression. So that, you know, kind of disrupts the quality of the video, if you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, so I always try and get the the original the original one, and uh, I think this was during the Euros, uh, the football competition here in, in Europe. We got the Euros, and um, yeah, I think it was that. Anyway, uh, it was in the summer. I think it was June twenty third, two thousand twenty. Was it? I don't know the exact date, but this is what happened. The man's name's Gareth Harbord. And he was with his two two children. One was 12, I think the other was 13 at the time. And they were driving down to a food market. And there's a place in Merthyr Tidville, it's called the Hoover's Factory. It used to be a major uh, washing machine and dryer and electronics uh, factory, which would export goods then out to the rest of the world. It's a very, very big, important place at one time in Merthyr Tidwell. It isn't anymore. More of a storage unit now. But at the time, it employed a lot of people. Anyway, he's driving down this one big, long road, and his children are filming something they've seen, and it's these four red, orange-looking lights. And the, the sun is now starting to set, so it's very late now. We're talking about half past nine. And there is cloud around. There's no stars visible. There is definitely cloud above these lights. But they're in a formation which is very similar to um, like, a, like a pizza shape. And as they, they move, they're driving down, one of the objects, one of the lights moves independently of the other three. They remain static. And they're keeping this on film. And eventually they decide to pull over. And I think Gareth then grabs the video. And one of the objects, uh, stop shining for a moment. Seems to, seems to like, I don't know if it, it switches itself off or it, like it, it just seems to like zoom out and zoom back in somehow. Like it's sort of like, how can I describe it? It's kind of like if you inflate and deflate a balloon. Okay. You see it opening up like a, you know like a big object and it quickly deflates like that. And that's the only way I can describe it. Right. Uh, it's like someone flickering a light, I guess, and you're right, you, you know, it brightens up and brightens down, but it's not like quite like that, at least not to my uh, not to my thing. But anyway, they filmed it, and he got in contact with me. I went to the site, interviewed him again, and I, check, I do all the usual checks, of course. But what's interesting about this one is why these objects are below the cloud layer. It was during the time when Joe Biden came and visited Britain for the G8 summit. Huh, how about that? Yeah, and I thought Air Force One was actually going over that area. So are these things hiding from Air Force One? Are they keeping out of the way of the Air Force? Do they fear them somehow? I mean, those are questions I'd like to ask. But 
Yeah, me and me and uh, Gareth were talking about this, and we came up with this idea that the reason why they're below the cloud layer and hiding up in that area is because they're probably uh, keeping out of sight. But then they're they're so damn visible. I'm surprised no one else saw them. But uh, another thing I've noticed as well is that once again, where they're hovering and where they're sort of like keeping themselves, it's just above a bunch of power lines. Ah. I mean, once again, there's power lines involved and there's electrical sources involved and energy, yep. <laughs> military stuff involved. I'm like, what's going on here? Right. Is this all connected or what? Very possible. Very, very possible. Indeed. Are they draining the energy from the power lines? That's what we hear a lot, you know? It's, it's like, not. I can't tell you how high these things are, but they're not that high. They're probably, I mean, maybe... 2,000, 3,000 feet up. Okay. Obviously, there's, there's a mountain behind them, a big hill-like mountain behind them. The power lines are up there. Right. So they're probably, maybe they, they're just using it as an energy source, or maybe they just, I don't know. I mean, it's I've always wondered about that. Yeah, it's interesting for sure. Absolutely an aspect of it. I mean, it, is it the electromagnetic field they give off? Is it the static charge or something? I don't know. Yeah, because there's a lot of uh, electrical electrical cases out there with ufos i mean that's one of the big things Indeed. So that's an interesting case for sure um especially when you have the the video that you have with all these cases i mean that's incredible. oh yeah the for videos sure. are brilliant that's yeah. why i like them absolutely um but we're actually at the end of the episode um i want to thank you for coming on today and sharing all those case info yeah. with us i know it's a lot to go through each case so short because uh, I know there's a lot more details for each one. Yes. Um, but do you want to tell everybody where they can find your books at, uh, where they can purchase them, um, where they can follow your work as well? Okay. Uh, I have a channel on Rumble. Just type in Gary Jones uh, 7 because I had to put the number 7 on it for some reason. But I also have uh, books on Amazon. Um, one is The Pan Turkey Incident. The other is The Denby Lights. You can buy my books there. They're available in paperback, hardback, uh, Kindle. Uh, if you've got an Amazon Prime account, you should be able to get an audio or a Kindle version free. So, you know, you could, it is available free if you've got that uh, ability. And um, I'm on Facebook if anybody wants to contact me. That seems to be the main point of contact on a social media platform. I don't have my own website yet. Um, quite a lot of work to keep a website going, especially yes, with everything is. else I'm doing right now. Very. <laughs> um, I just I just find this easier anyway with social media. If people want to contact me, then I can we can we can go on Messenger or go on WhatsApp or you right. know, speak privately, more email or on email, depending on what people are happy about. Right. But uh, if people want to see what these cases we're talking about, if you go to like I say Rumble, type in Gary Jones Seven or type in Gary Jones Denby Lights or Gary Jones Turk, you'll see the video pop up, and then you can see the account that it's linked to and, you know, just go into the video section that way. But I'll send you the links if you want to these things, uh, Jesse, so people can see them straight away from... Yeah, send me the links, and I'll put it in the episode description so people can, you yeah. know, go right to I do have it. I do have several others pretty quickly. One is called, I think it's called the Nanty Glow Orbs. That was a couple of orbs that was seen above a mountain range. Um, what else do I have? There's another one I call the Newport Triangle. That one uh, just has a good witness who um, gave me a very detailed report. And I, I learned that there seems to be uh, a hub for the big black triangle craft in the Newport area of Wales. 
Very okay. strange, that one. Um, what cool. else is there? Is that it? I think that's it right now. Those okay. are the cases that I've got. Yeah, just send me the links over at the words. Oh, I'll make sure I put them in there for you. One. I do have two more. There was um, one in Port Talbot. That lady report was seen a blue object in there. And there was another one recently in Smilock Woods. Would you believe it? The, it's the father of the one who did the Volantris in Red Orb. Okay. It's his daughter who caught this one. That's cool. And, uh, yeah. Um, awesome. Uh, the video, the, there was video of that too. Yeah, very, 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 very strange things happening with all this. Huh. Yeah, we'll have to look into them for sure. Um, and I'll make sure I put all that in the episode so people can get a hold of them and, and check them out and the links to your book as well. I'll make sure I do that. Um, so, yeah, I, I appreciate you coming on today, Gary, and sharing all this with us. I know it was a lot of information to pack into about an hour episode. But uh, well, we managed. <laughs> I appreciate it very much. <laughs> Thank you, Jesse. Uh, thank you. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in to our episode uh, 110 today with our special guest, Gary Jones. Um, please make sure to go and support our sponsor, the podcast Let's Find Out with co-host Diego. Um, you can find that over our website at uh, ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com and a bunch of other content over there as well. Um, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. And uh, we'll be back next week with another special guest. And until then, remember to keep your eyes in the sky. Well, I want to thank our special guest, Gary Jones, for coming on today and going over all of that case information that we went over. Uh, the Denby Lights is another interesting case that I've never heard of before until today. Um, going over the case information with Gary, uh, as well as the other cases. They were extremely, extremely interesting cases. Um, the links will be in the episode description below so you guys can get that information. Or you can go over to Gary's Facebook page where he has a lot of the uh, lot of the documentation and information that you guys are looking for for the different cases that we spoke about today um so i want to thank gary for coming on and sharing that information with us um it was definitely uh very interesting information for sure to learn about these big cases that you really don't get to hear too much about so i appreciate gary coming on and doing that today next week we're going to have special guest chris Harmon. Um, Chris is very um, involved with MUFON and within the field of ufology. Um, I know that'll be a great episode. Um, we've been looking forward to that. Um, so we have that to look forward to. And uh, please go and check out Let's Find Out with co-host Diego, the podcast, where he goes over the different topics of ufology, the paranormal, and cryptozoology. He is the official sponsor of our show. Um, and if you like what we do here and the content we bring, you'll definitely like that show as well. You can get that in the description of the episode below as well and over our website at ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com. So I want to thank everybody for giving us your listening ears every week and to our episode today with Gary Jones. I appreciate that. And we'll be back next week with our special guest, Chris Harmon. So until then, remember to keep your eyes in the sky.